Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Tis the season for cheap political stunts, as Texas Governor Greg Abbott got into the Christmas spirit this year by sending a busload of migrants to the home of Vice President Kamala Harris in Washington, D.C., as evidently there was no room at the inn in Texas. New York GOP representative-elect George Santos admitted on Monday that he fabricated most of his work history, as well as his family's background and his financial history. Has he finally come clean, or are there more revelations ahead? And we'll talk about China and how they are walking the line between aiding the Russian invasion of Ukraine and pretending that they aren't, so they don't end up getting sanctioned. We've got a great show for you today. Thanks for joining us. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe to the newsletter at didnothingwrongpod.com. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. Thanks again for your support. Texas Governor Greg Abbott sent a busload of immigrants to Kamala Harris's home in Washington, D.C. on Christmas Eve. Temperatures were below freezing, and aid workers quickly came to help these people, some of whom were wearing T-shirts. We're seeing more and more of these political stunts from Republicans, whether it's Abbott in Texas or DeSantis in Florida. They're using these immigrants as props for their greater political agenda. I think the question becomes, though, do Republicans really have a plan to fix the immigration crisis? I think they have a plan to keep blaming Joe Biden and, and the Democrats. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they're pretty consistent in that plan. And they're, they're pretty consistent about talking about it all the time. You've still got, I'm just looking through Texas governor's Greg Abbott's Twitter account right now. And it's several posts about the border a day. Mm-hmm. It is just a constant stream of thank you to the people who are Defending the border and the border crisis and Biden, Biden bad, Biden bad, Biden bad. One of my favorite tweets is Abbott. Let's see, this was December 21st. And he said, two years ago, we had the most secure border in decades. Now, under Biden's disastrous policies, we have complete chaos at at the border. Unacceptable. Texas will continue to take unprecedented action to secure our southern border. He's technically correct. Two years ago, the numbers for immigrants coming across the border into the U.S. were uh, lower than they'd been in decades since, I think, maybe the 70s. Wow. That's impressive. Was there anything going on at that point? Uh, well, Trump was president. Trump was president. Hmm. That's good. And he, he said he built the wall. I mean, he didn't actually he didn't actually build it, but he said he did. Built a little piece of the wall. He built some portions, and then Steve Bannon promised to build some more. And uh, that was actually uh-huh. just a fraud for which he was indicted. They've talked about a wall. So that's important. And then two years ago, there was this thing going on. I don't know. It kind of affected all of our lives. And uh, Right, right. I, I seem to remember it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, a lot of people got sick. Led to massive lockdowns and People were afraid to go outside and, and it, everything just sort of, sort of shut down, including illegal immigration. Yeah. So two years ago, it was, it was COVID. It was the beginning of COVID. It's when even for a little while, Republicans took that seriously. That didn't last too long, but they did have, a, we had a little interlude there where 
the only people really arguing against it were the the most extreme fringe. But it's another way to hit Joe Biden. And yeah, the numbers were really low two years ago. Let's just not talk about COVID and how that affected everything because Joe Biden is bad. And I'm going to tweet some more about it every day. Absolutely. And now we've got, <laughs> you know, an issue we can use to beat Joe Biden up about this when, you know, in reality, this is not a new problem. This is not a problem that just started last year or just started in 2021 when Joe Biden was inaugurated. This is a problem that's been going on in American society probably about as long as we've had a border. You can go back through history and look at lots of attempts that we've made on one level or another to solve this issue. And none of them, I feel pretty confident in saying, have worked especially well. So... It's a great question. Do the Republicans have some grand plan for fixing this that doesn't involve more walls, more border guards, more dogs, more deportations, more just cruelty? That's the only answer they seem to have is is more cruelty and scare people away from coming here. Let's uh, let's separate families. Let's just cause pain and suffering. And if we cause enough pain and suffering and scare people enough and into imagining the horrors of crossing the border, then maybe they won't come. And I guess that's a strategy. We've also seen the strategy of various far-right extremists who want to shoot people as they come over the border. And, well, that's another strategy. It's not a good one. I don't see how it's a... No, no, I don't think that's something that... I, I think there's like international law against that one. But the, the rhetoric is getting close to that at this point. They're not, they're not saying that. And I'm not saying that they are, but it feels like we're going to get there eventually because what, what else do they, do they want to do? I know they want to attack Biden and they want to make all of this political, but the numbers went up quite a bit with, with Trump. And I know some of what I've been reading was saying part of, part of the reason the numbers have consistently gone up is that we're actually catching a lot more people than that are crossing the border than we did 20 years ago, because we have more agents and better technology. And in some cases, the numbers may not actually be all that much higher than they used to be. We're just aware of it a lot more. We're catching a lot more. We're, we're actually able to have more accurate analysis. Whereas 20 years ago, the majority of people that that were crossing illegally just weren't picked up, weren't caught, weren't even tracked in any sort of way. So it's, I think it's it's fair to call it a crisis and a problem. But again, what do you want to do if if all your answer is is we're gonna we're gonna be cruel and we're gonna hurt people? Um, well, and if you're talking about competing from a cruelty standpoint with what some of these people are running away with, running away from. You're just not going to get there because the other thing is 20 years ago, the drug trade looked drastically different than it does now. 20 years ago, a lot of the drug trade was coming from Colombia. And now a lot of the drug trade across the border is coming from Mexico. The drug cartels in Mexico are in charge of large areas of the country. And no matter how cruel the GOP think they want to be, you're not going to compete with the Zetas. You're not going to compete with the, you know, Jalisco New Generation folks. They are much meaner than you will ever be. And if that's what these people are running from, and in a lot of cases they are, there's no way you're going to outdo those guys. They are simply some of the most awful people on the planet. 
And that's what these people are being driven to leave their homes by in a lot of cases. So you aren't going to get there, I don't think. I think we both probably agree that that most people don't want to leave their homes. Right. If, if they feel safe and secure, they have jobs, they don't worry about their kids walking to school or playing in the front yard and getting hit by a stray bullet or getting kidnapped, those sort of things. Most people like to stay where they are, where their family is, where they speak the language and it's home. It's home. Most people, most people like to stay at home. And I know I do. Most people I know do. Some people don't. There are always going to be some people that want to leave and maybe want to find something better or just something different. But most people don't want to go. But there's so much instability in, in these central and South American countries. People don't feel safe. Nope. And I think another, another thing that's been coming up is a lot more people have been requesting asylum here when they've crossed the border. So this is Texas Tribune in September of this year. And they said the historic migration wave this year has been driven by soaring numbers of people crossing from outside Mexico and Central America, the two largest traditional sources of illegal entries. Hmm. Migrants from Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba accounted for more than one-third of those taken into custody along the southern border last month. That's according to Customs and Border Protection. That is a 175% increase over August 2021. Biden administration officials blame the governments in those countries whose strained relations from Washington severely limit the ability of authorities to send them deportees. The head of Customs and Border Protection had a quote, which... I think is interesting because we're okay. We're dealing with a democratic president and you want to blame all of this on Joe Biden. And I know there's some Republicans who are going to say, well, Democrats just want open borders. They don't care. They're, they're happy to let all of these people flood in and just let them get away with it. But this is the head of customs and border protection, Chris Magnus under the Joe Biden presidency saying, quote, failing communist regimes in Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba are driving a new wave of migration across the Western Hemisphere, including the recent increase in encounters at the Southwest U.S. border. Those fleeing repressive regimes pose significant challenges for processing and removal. Doesn't sound like a communist who wants open borders to me. No. I, I don't know what you... Yeah, that sounds like political theater more so than any sort of real answer to the question because these people are coming from in some cases communist countries they are coming from countries that we don't have any level of diplomatic relations or any means to send them back to and that's exactly right and then a lot of these countries Again, the people are increasingly coming from there. We can't deport them because we don't have relations with these communist countries, which Republicans agree we shouldn't have relations with them. And that's that Biden shouldn't do that. And they're, I know Biden uh, administration officials have been making some overtures to, to Venezuela, to the government there, trying to get more oil and, uh, and helping with some sanctions relieved, and that has been heavily criticized by Republicans. Of course. The GOP does not want us dealing with these countries in any way, shape, or form. They won't take our th these illegal immigrants back because we don't have relations. Mexico, in most cases, won't take them back. They won't take migrants from South American countries or places like 
Venezuela or Cuba. So what are we supposed to do with them? We can't take them back to their countries. We can't drop them in Mexico. So some of them are just staying here. Right. And we don't know what to do with them. And Republicans agree we shouldn't have a dialogue with these countries. So they'll, they'll take these people back. So what, what is the plan? What's the solution? What are we supposed to do? I, I don't know. And it doesn't seem like they do either. No, I really, I don't have a clue. These are, these are people at the end of the day. These are not political pawns. They are people who in a lot of cases are coming from very, very terrible circumstances where they're at. I mean, think about that for a minute. You, you brought up the idea of most people like staying at home. Most people like having their family around them going up in the place where maybe they were raised. Nobody wants to take the clothes on your back and head for a different country. Nobody wants to do that. Whether you're starting in Syria, whether you're starting in Africa, whether you're starting in Mexico, whether you're starting in Cuba, it doesn't matter. Nobody wants to make a long, dangerous journey to another country that when you get there, it's not like all of your problems are over. You know, you have to somehow find a job. You have to somehow find a way to make money. You have to somehow find a life to build in that other country. This is not an easy thing these people are doing. It's a desperate move. You wouldn't do this if you weren't desperate. I mean, think about this the next time you drive by your local big box home improvement store, okay? A lot of the people that you see in that parking lot did that. They're waiting for some kind of opportunity to go make enough money for a day that they're going to send back to their family wherever they're sending it back to. So I think that, you know, missing the human aspect of that, the idea that these people want to be here or want better circumstances so bad that they're prepared to pack up and make a really dangerous journey to somewhere else that might give you a better life is something to take into account when you're trying to figure out how to fix this problem. Instead of like, and I'm looking at the Fort Worth uh, Star Tribune here. This is a quote from Governor Greg Abbott from February of 2022, earlier this year. It is ironic that as we speak right now, Biden is focused on the border between the Ukraine, as he puts it, and Russia, Abbott mm-hmm. said. He should be focused on the border of the United States of America. And, you know, when you think of Russia, you think of terrorist-sponsored nations. There have been people apprehended coming across the border from terrorist-sponsored nations. And you know what? President Biden does not seem to care about it. And you find yourself thinking, the man has addressed it. The man has talked about how we don't have any relations with some of these quote-unquote terrorist-sponsored nations in order to send some of these people back. I'm not sure what Greg Abbott would like us to do besides, you know, build a bigger fence. Yeah. And he's been doing that and talking about that. But I also, this is the Texas Tribune in September of this year. And so Greg Abbott has started something called Operation Lone Star, which he's apparently spent or plan to spend at least $4 billion to curb illegal immigration. He's constructing a border wall. He's uh, sent thousands of National Guard service members and state police to patrol the border for months. He has really, I don't know what, what he's done beyond that, but he's claimed that, okay, we've got this project that we're working on we're definitely going to do something we're we're not just going to sit by and let joe biden get away with this but the the headline on on the texas tribune 
says migrant encounters at the border are higher today than they were before Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star began. <laughs> it's working great. It's been about 18 months. It's working great. There's about, yeah, $4 billion put into it. And as he said, things in 2020 were at a kind of historic low because of COVID, which... I, I think we can agree we're glad COVID, the, the early days of COVID are over. So we don't want to go back to that. That's, that's not a strong No, 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 no. COVID as immigration <laughs> policy is not. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, let's just have a new uh, pandemic and that'll fix the issue. That's, that's It'll how fix it works. A lot right? of issues. <laughs> Certainly will. Um, yeah, but it's been, it's been steadily increasing and it's okay. You've put all this money into it and you're still above what you were when you started because you can talk about it all you want you can blame joe biden all you want but the numbers are still going up so i think it's worth saying that you can't control this you you think we can just throw money at this we can build more walls we can have more border agents we can do all these things but at the end of the day these people come here because they're fleeing something, because they're they're hoping for a safer, better life. And we can understand that. And we can understand them applying for asylum because they have come from, from these quote-unquote terrorist states that Republicans agree we should not be doing deals with, with Venezuela and, and Cuba, especially. They're communists mm-hmm. and they're bad. So part of the issue here, I mean, it's so multifaceted, but you want to go into these countries and these Central American countries, like you said, a lot of the earlier immigration was tied to the drug trade and people fleeing that. And it's not that that has changed so much, but the the answer to that may be going there and breaking up the drug trade or investing money in local police and local infrastructure and, and giving these people a better life. It's not the xenophobic sort of, oh, we just don't want brown people here. No. It's it's the idea that let's make their world safer and better so they don't feel like they have to flee their homes and, and go on these incredibly unsafe and just scary trips to the border on some hope that maybe eventually someday they or their kids might have a better life. And it's terrible when you really think about it on a human level. And that is an option. That was a, a thing that's been tried and had some success in these in Mexico and some of these Central American countries. But we can't do that in Venezuela and Cuba, no. because we, we don't talk to them, we don't want to help them. And Republicans agree, we don't want to throw money at the communist governments, so we don't want to prop up the the regimes there. So then what you, you can't send them back, we can't improve the situation in those countries, Mexico won't take them. And the people keep coming because, yeah, the situation in, in their home country, where they live, where they would probably prefer to stay is untenable. So I don't see a clear solution. And Greg Abbott can throw as much money as he wants at this. And you can have Arizona Governor Doug Ducey and Abbott and DeSantis having these migrants put on buses and sent to quote unquote Democrat cities. Democrat run cities are, are the, are the problem. And if we just drop enough migrants there, they'll be forced to pay attention and forced to do something about this. But what uh, other than, other than just saying Joe Biden has created this, which you can't really back up. What is, what is your actual plan? Because I, I don't see it. And if Abbott can't fix it, if Abbott can't even 
really slow it down. Yeah. What what are you going to do? It it looks very much like a political stunt, a way to hurt Democrats, a way that that Republicans think they can win the next election and maybe it works. But again, I don't I don't see a solution no. here. I don't see an answer. I don't see a real plan. Not with any of the current suggestions. Let me read you something from a while back that somebody former Republican said about this whole issue. Quote, rather than making them of talking about putting up a fence, why don't we work out some recognition of our mutual problems, make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. And when they want to go back, they can go back and cross and open the border both ways by understanding their problems. This is the only safety valve they have right now with their level of unemployment that probably keeps the lid from blowing off. And I think we could have a fine relationship. That was Ronald Reagan in 1980 <laughs> debating George H.W. <laughs> Bush, whose answer on this question was equally woke at the time. So when you've got people, and again, Reagan made his share of mistakes here, but this evidently wasn't one of them. And it's really too bad that we didn't listen to what the man was saying since he had eight years to implement it and put in some kind of sane and humane policy when it comes to migration, because nothing we've done since has really made much of a dent or helped. And it's allowed politicians like Greg Abbott, like Ron DeSantis, like Doug Ducey, people who may or may not be running for the Republican nomination for president in 2024, they can use this as a political stunt. And it's got the sort of side benefit, as it were, of bringing up another issue for them, which is you know near and dear to their hearts, which is the issue of aid and weaponry to Ukraine. You notice that in Abbott's statement, he made comments about why are we bothering to secure the border in the Ukraine and we can't bother to secure the border in the United States. And another person who has said similar things to that recently is a gentleman by the name. I think that's his name. We're pretty sure this is his name. <laughs> well, it's one of his names. It's one of his names. I want to see a birth certificate at this point for real. Um, <laughs> a gentleman by the name of George Santos, who actually does have at least a couple of different names that he's been using. Yeah. AKA George DeVolder Santos. And I think the other was Anthony DeVolder. Right. But we know of at least three that he's used recently. Guy's got aliases like he's in the Wu-Tang Clan or something. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. A.K.A. Tony Starks. A.K.A. Ghostface Killer. Uh, yeah. So Santos, he has criticized Biden's willingness to start a war, quote, in Eastern Europe and send American soldiers to a deadly combat zone to protect Ukraine's border, but failing to secure the U.S. southern border. He also blamed Biden for Russia's invasion of Ukraine, citing his frail leadership and said it would have been avoided if the U.S. had had a strong president. Now, granted, George Santos has said a lot of things at this point that aren't true. So we can look at this as one more, shall we say, lie that the man has told, or we can sort of look at it as part of an ongoing narrative of Republican politicians 
to erode support for Ukraine, because we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of statements from people like Santos. Obviously, you know, we covered Abbott, DeSantis, the rest of them that they would like to see it stop. They would like to see us stop sending weapons and money and foreign aid to Ukraine. And I'm pretty sure we know what's going to happen the minute that happens, if they get it. Yeah, the Ukrainians need this aid. And if they want to continue to, I I think it's fair to say they're winning the war, or at least they are more than holding their ground and slowly recovering some ground. There are now plenty of reports coming out that Russia has been training and arming more men. And there seems to be a significant possibility of more troops being sent into Ukraine in the coming year. We have to caution with that because Russia loves to lie mm-hmm. al- almost as much as, as George Santos. <laughs> maybe it's a, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which is worse at this point, but he's got a future in Russian politics. If this doesn't work out for him, that's for sure. <laughs> the, the war is not over and the aid to Ukraine Look, if you want to let Russia have Ukraine, then cut off the aid and stop it right now. And at this point, who knows? Russia has certainly lost a lot of material and troops and their prestige has taken a huge hit. There's no guarantee, even at this point, that that Russia would win if all aid to Ukraine stopped. But it would certainly run a very significant and serious risk of doing that. And if Putin gets that sort of victory and propaganda win, then give him a few years and the Baltics or Sweden or Poland are next. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's just where we're at. But the GOP continues to lean into this. Yeah. The, the Democrats are more concerned about the Ukraine border than the Southern border. And it's a, it's a cheap political line, but yeah, shouldn't you be too? Shouldn't you be worried about if Russia takes Ukraine, where, where that, what's next, where that goes next? Yeah, that I'm, I'm worried about that. And I think it'll cost a hell of a lot more money to defend the rest of NATO than we're spending right now, which granted is a lot, but I think comparatively it's, it's a lot less than it could be. But you look at Santos here and some statements he's, he's made in, Shortly after the full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine started, we have an interview on Fox News of of George Santos saying, and the headline is, GOP congressional candidate with decades-old ties to Ukraine says, Biden too weak to cut Russia at the knees. <laughs> and there's there's some quotes in here where Santos says, my grandfather was born in Kiev, and left in the late 20s and migrated to Belgium, where he met my grandmother and then started a family. We don't carry the Ukrainian last name. For a lot of people who are descendants of World War II refugees or survivors of the Holocaust, a lot of names or paperwork were changed in the name of survival. That's true. Uh, but his wasn't one of them, evidently, but yeah, there have been some dives into his genealogy in the family tree. And it seems like the family has been in Brazil for many generations now, and they actually have not found any connection to Ukraine whatsoever. This guy, it's really hard to know with George Santos what's true and what isn't, because the man I feel comfortable saying is a fabulist. He has made up a lot of different stories. He has talked about working for Citigroup and Goldman Sachs when it seems that he was answering calls at a call center. 
he made up a degree from Baruch College when it seems that he was facing criminal charges for misusing someone else's checkbook in Brazil at the time. It's really almost impossible. And he's blaming the media, of course, for, for all of this, for all of this reporting. But it's really difficult to say with any degree of certainty what this man is or what this man isn't in terms of his real background. But what's interesting about this is there's absolutely nothing about anything that anyone can document about this guy that screams that he has a lot of money at any point. None of these jobs, none of this lifestyle suggests that he's got any means whatsoever. At one point, he claimed to be a landlord. He claimed to own, what was it, 13 properties with his family business. No one can document that he's ever owned property anywhere. Yeah, the the family business is supposedly the DeVolder organization based in Florida that was registered a couple of years ago. They had one filing. And then the company went into involuntary dissolution because they stopped filing paperwork. You have to file annual reports, and he did not file an annual report. But this great real estate empire, and there was another time where he claimed he had a $10 million home. Right. And his family has this giant real estate empire that he just happened to join after he had this time on Wall Street. And, oh, yes, his mother is is Jewish, even though every bit of information we've seen now is is said that she's Catholic and she had a not a Ukrainian name or a Jewish sounding name. And she posted about her Catholic faith on her social media account. But this supposed real estate empire, it's a it's an LLC in Florida that there's no real evidence that they did any business whatsoever. There's no evidence that he owns any real estate. A few years ago, he was he was evicted for failure to pay rent in New York. He couldn't afford his rent right. in New York. And you're telling me you've got a million dollar home and all of these properties that you own and he can just loan himself $700,000 for his campaign, which did happen. But how do you go from, I can't afford my monthly rent on my apartment to I have 700k that I can just dump in my campaign on a loan that I'm not going to get back. That's the thing here where he, there's so much that he can't account for. And, and like you said, that he didn't graduate from college. He now admits that he didn't work at these Wall Street firms. Now he admits that. But the family history, whether he's Jewish, can't prove it. What matters What can actually keep him from stepping into the House of Representatives is that money. And he needs to explain where that 700K Mm -hmm. came from, because this is a guy who's also been connected to something called Harbor City Capital. And he worked there for some amount of time. And now he claims that he left and he wanted to help the people that were hurt by Harbor City because it was a Ponzi scheme that stole money from people. There are indictments. I've been reading through them. That it was a lot of money. People were told that it was going to be invested and and they were going to get these great returns. It's it's like Madoff. It's the whole, oh, I'm, I have to just keep getting investors and the new investors. I'm going to take that money and give it to the old investors and make them think that they're getting these massive returns on their investment. And really, I'm just stealing from one and giving to the other and then stealing some more and giving to the other. So he was employed there. And he's also 
created some LLCs with the same people who work there that have been indicted for this scheme. And it's it's really shady and sketchy. And and Santos claims that, oh, and once he found out about it, he he just tried to help the people who had been hurt. Well, there's no evidence of that because the 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 one other thing we know about this guy is he had a he had an animal rescue nonprofit that he supposedly started that maybe also didn't exist. Huh. Yeah, this guy, the only thing we seem to have evidence for is is this guy knows how to help himself. Mm-hmm. He he's not afraid of bending the truth or just outright fabricating parts of his history. So there's no evidence that he helped anyone involved with this Ponzi scheme. No. There's evidence that he had no money and then suddenly he has money. And you start looking at, okay, you you try to break this down and figure out what happened here? How did how did this guy who was bouncing checks in Brazil? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did he get all of this money? And and I don't know, but I do know enough about who he was palling around with. I was looking at his at his financials, and I saw that one of the groups that he spent a good chunk of change on uh, fifteen thousand dollars in twenty twenty one was Arsenal Media Group, Ooh. which is headed by. TPUSA uh, favorite Benny Johnson. Huh. I thought it was funny that uh, they got a decent amount of cash in 2022, but their top client, the one who paid them the most amount of money, was Cawthorn for North Carolina, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Madison Cawthorn. Another another strong proponent of not sending aid to Ukraine and and well, he lost, mm-hmm. but Santos was at the New York Young Republican Club, invited Santos to that fashy prom, as you put <laughs> it, a few weeks ago. <laughs> they, uh, I looked on their website and they also endorsed Santos in September of 2021, September 8th, 2021. They said the New York Young Republican Club is proud to endorse George DeVolder Santos, congressional candidate for New York Three. His story is part of the fabric of New York's broader story of coming to America. His, he is a first generation American whose parents immigrated from Brazil seeking out the American dream. So it goes on and they, they list his bio about Goldman Sachs and Citigroup and his family's office, the DeVolder organizations overseeing asset allocations of $80 million. So, okay. They, they took this guy at his word. The fact that he he paid Benny Johnson, who's just involved with everything Charlie Kirk and TPUSA, doesn't mean anything, doesn't mean they knew anything. I'm not alleging that. But it's just, it's the shadiest thing I've seen in a long time. And there's so little about this guy right now that you can say definitively. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I think people need to focus on the money because if he can't explain how he suddenly got rich, then that could be cause for criminal investigation and that can get him kicked out of the house and that could cost Kevin McCarthy his speakership and boy, he doesn't want that. Well, we know, according to the Daily Beast, where at least some of his money came from that he got, that he got a large donation or several from a gentleman by the name of Andrew and Trader. And Andrew and Trader runs a company now called Sparrow Capital, and it previously used the name Columbus Nova. And Columbus Nova has one job, and that's managing the investments of this Entrader guy's cousin, 
who's a gentleman by the name of Victor Vecklesberg, who is one of the wealthiest oligarchs in Russia. So it looks like in 2020, according to the Beast, during Devolder Santos's first campaign, he gave this guy $11,600. That was the maximum at the time. Starting in 2021, and Trader and his wife began pouring tens of thousands of dollars into auxiliary committees backing Devolder Santos, 20000 directly to his GADS PAC, which is a leadership PAC bearing his initials, plus 12100 to Devolder Santos Nassau Victory, joint fundraising committee formed with the Nassau County Republican Party. They had to drop 10000 of that into the GOP's federal account, but still, it's a good chunk of change. They gave him another 12400 So, really, this is the only guy this guy gave significant money to, and this company gave significant money to, in this election cycle. And it's really fascinating that, at the same time, he's getting this cash from the cousin of one of the richest oligarchs. He's saying things like, to the Washington Post... It's not like Ukraine is a great democracy. It's a totalitarian regime. They're not a great bastion of freedom. He has insisted that Ukraine, quote, welcomed the Russians into their provinces and that Ukrainians in the East, quote, feel more Russian than Ukrainian. Where have we heard any of this before? Uh. At the same time, he's cashing enormous checks from the cousin of one of the biggest oligarchs in Russia. This needs to get investigated. There's just the money that this guy's got. Where'd it come from? Where did it come from? And yeah, I, where who has sounded like this? It's uh, we should probably play a game of was it RT or was it was it TPUSA or Steve Bannon? Or it's amazing how in sync they all are. It's like they all get talking points from somewhere. They they really are. But he yeah, he's at that New York Young Republican event and he sounds just like them. It is that quote unquote America first, which I think is democracy last, mm-hmm. and very much. Not just, oh, we have to worry about ourselves. It's also this, these Ukrainians are just as bad as Russia and it's none of our business. And, and that's the party line for this, this version of the GOP, which he appears to be part of. Looking at the 2022 race, his top donor was FTX US. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and one of the, so oh. Ryan Salame, one of the, co-CEOs of an FTX company who was heavily involved in political donations to Republicans. He donated, his parents, both his mom and his dad donated to this campaign. For some reason or another, FTX US gave, so they had, FTX had all these affiliates and Salame had, was co-CEO of, of one group and FTX US is another group. Although it's really odd because I've gone through some of these donations and sometimes the same person will list a different company for each donation that they give. So it's it's not always even clear which one is doing it. But right now we've got George Devolder Santos, top donor, FTX US with twenty nine thousand dollars. So what was that about? <laughs> why why is Ryan Salame's mom and dad donating to this guy? Salame I think last we checked was he donated around 24 million to Republicans in the midterms. Mm-hmm. He got his mom and dad to to chip in here. Second biggest Republican donor right after Peter Thiel. Yeah, it it again so much of this doesn't prove anything. He's got all this anti-Ukrainian rhetoric and 
all the people who, who do this say, Oh, it's not about helping Russia. It's just, we just need to worry about ourselves. But man, there's, there's just so many questions. And yeah, it, it's easy to, to look at this guy and just think he's a clown because he kind of is. Right. But if you really don't want him to have that seat and you really don't think he should be a member of the House of Representatives, let's focus on the money. Let's focus on where that 700K came from. Let's focus on why this cousin of a Russian oligarch is giving him the money. Let's figure out what his relationship was to FTX and Ryan Salame. I don't have those answers, and uh, but man, I'd love to know. Well, speaking of shilling for Russia... We've got Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi recently defended what he calls China's impartiality when it comes to the war in Ukraine. And he also indicated that China intends to actually deepen ties with Russia in 2023. Wang said that China plans to deepen strategic mutual trust and mutually beneficial cooperation with Russia. This comes after the two countries recently held joint naval drills in the East China Sea, which is something that's become more frequent in recent years. And we know at this point the Kremlin is more than willing to accept any aid they can get, and China is clearly agitating against the United States in increasingly overt ways. They just held a strike drill that sent 47 aircraft into the Taiwan Strait over the weekend as well. How far do you think China is willing to go to help Russia, and what does this mean for the U.S.? I think they are willing to go as far as they can while avoiding as many sanctions as possible. Russia's economy has been hit very hard, and there are people who claim the sanctions haven't worked and aren't effective, but that's just not true. No. It, it has been effective. It has not knocked them out of the war or anything like that, but Russia's economy is in bad shape. And China looks at that and says, we don't want that. But it is beneficial for them if the U.S. stays focused on Ukraine. They don't mind if we keep sending all of that money and Russia keeps destroying its military in Ukraine. And Putin is going to keep begging for help from China. And we know Russia is looking for aid wherever they can get it. Russia's Wagner Group, which is the unofficial mercenary army in, in Russia owned by Yevgeny Prigozhin. They were recently caught, according to U.S. intelligence, they were taking delivery of armed shipments from North Korea to help the Russian military forces in Ukraine. Now, of course, they deny this, but U.S. intelligence gave this report to, to Reuters. So it's not surprising. Russia needs all the help they can get. There have been some Chinese companies, five firms. Uh, let's see, this was in June of this year. The U.S. accuses five firms in China of supporting Russia's military. There are uh, sanctions against these companies that were put out by DOJ. Looking at the, the June report, Reuters also covered this and just briefly say Joe Biden's administration added five companies in China to a trade blacklist for allegedly supporting Russia's military and defense industrial base, flexing its muscle to enforce sanctions against Moscow over its invasion in Ukraine. They were the targeted companies had supplied items to Russian, quote, entities of concern before the February invasion, adding that they continue to contract to supply Russian entity listed and sanctioned parties. So 
it's sort of that unofficial official aid. And I'm, I'm sure that the Chinese government is going to claim they, they knew nothing about this. And it is far enough away from them that the U.S. can't start taking drastic measures. But it's clear that China has, has been pretty consistent in terms of their, in the information space, they've been kind of holding the line with, with Russia and they refuse to call the war in Ukraine a war. Right. They, they just won't do it, which is exactly what Putin has been trying to do and calling it a special operation. Yeah, it's it's not a war. It's a special operation, and it's of course a a limited draft, not a not a. <laughs> we're not we're, full mobilization. Yeah, not full mobilization. Only partial. Only partial. All partial. Don't worry about all those videos of guys getting picked off the street and in in the train stations and reports of the prisons being emptied and dumped directly onto the battlefield. This no. Uh huh. Partial mobilization. Oh, and and uh, well, Putin came out and said that oh, that, there were just some bad apples. It's always the bad mm-hmm. apples who, that uh, acted without his authorization. Of course, it's in other words, the ones who got caught on camera. <laughs> yeah. So I think, and with those firms, they were supplying that aid, but they also had these contracts before the war started, and the. They were sanctioned, but they're going to say, well, we just, we had made promises and we had to deliver. We saw this honestly in after 2014 when Russia illegally annexed Crimea and went into the Donbass region of Ukraine. There were some European companies who also had these ongoing relationships and contracts with the Russian government and they fulfilled some of those even after these companies were put under sanctions and they just said, well, we just, we'd already signed the contracts. What do you want us to do? So China's gonna, gonna hem and haw and say, well, it's not a war. And, but they're not, they're not neutral. They're, they're helping Russia. They're, they're airing Kremlin propaganda. They're calling the U.S. an aggressor and some of the, some of the tropes, anti-Ukrainian tropes. They've put that out there on, on Chinese state run media. They're doing as much as they can without destroying their economy. I think they they don't mind a weaker Russia. They don't mind a Putin who essentially has to come begging. They're not going to go send their soldiers over there nope. or their tanks or all these things because they're they're worried about Taiwan. And if if the world is is focused on Ukraine, then maybe one of these days, one of these drills that they're carrying out near Taiwan stops being a drill, right? The same strategy Russia used where they were running military drill after military drill on the border with Ukraine and all of a sudden, boom, one of them wasn't. And nothing that's going on in Ukraine hurts China right now. They can sell weapons to Russia. They can ship weapons to Russia. They can get paid from that. They can deny it far enough to stay on the good side of the United States, mostly when it comes to the sanctions. They keep the U.S. and European countries that might have an interest in defending Taiwan, very busy. They have them focused on what's going on over there. And they can also learn from the successes and failures that both sides are having in this war and apply these lessons to any potential invasion of Taiwan that they're thinking about doing. Because I'm sure the war plan looked a lot different before Russia invaded. Now that they've got some chance to listen to, you know, watch a, what does this actually look like in practice? Huh? Maybe we're going to change a few things. Maybe we're not going to do it that way. Maybe we're going to do it a little different. There's no bad outcome here for China. 
No, and they're they're going to exploit it and manipulate it to whatever ends best suit them. But I I do think there had to have been at least some amount of pause in China after they they assumed as the rest of mm-hmm. us did that Russia was going to go in and this war was going to be over quickly and I think they preferred that and and they they were fine with it. A lot of people here thought the war would be over in days and I bet they did in China because they were probably listening to their Russian counterparts who who thought the same thing and and it hasn't worked out that way and and China I think is going to continue limiting the the material aid as much as possible but Russia is going to keep asking and I and I think part of it too is China gets to see how how the west responds and also how willing the west is to continue responding because we do see cracks we do see members of the GOP increasingly agitating against providing this aid and support to Ukraine and if China decides to invade Taiwan or it seems like it's an imminent threat, well, what does that do for the U.S. and the rest of the West? How much are we willing to give and how far are we willing to go? And I think from China's perspective, the longer the war goes on, the more aid that we're sending to Ukraine probably means the less we're willing to do for Taiwan. Every dollar sent to Ukraine is a dollar they can't send to Taiwan. Correct. And at a certain point, it is going to be too much. And it, it. I want to help Ukraine and help Taiwan, but our supplies are not endless. And it's not even just money. It's, it's how many mm-hmm. missiles we have in our stockpile. How many guns can we actually send over there before we, we can't supply our own army? We've gotten dangerously close kind of in recent days. So I think China's just sitting back and waiting and, Every now and then they throw throw a little bit of aid Russia's way and Russia Russia's gone looking everywhere they can. There's I, there was a recent in October that DOJ charged two individuals in a scheme to aid the Russian military that the links they're going to. I'll just read you briefly, but it was the charges were against several Russian individuals, but US attorney Brian Peace in the Eastern District of New York said, quote, as alleged, the defendants were criminal enablers for oligarchs orchestrating a complex scheme to unlawfully obtain U.S. military technology and Venezuelan sanctioned oil through a myriad of transactions involving shell companies and cryptocurrency. Their efforts undermine security, economic stability, and the rule of law around the world. Yeah, it was a an effort to fuel Russia's brutal war in Ukraine, evade sanctions, and perpetuate the shadowy economy of transnational money laundering. And it is a very, very intricate scheme. But I think the point here is Russia will gladly take anything China will offer, and China will gladly keep Russia in that position. Well, I don't think China wants Russia to do much better than they're doing. I could see that very easily, that this is where China wants Russia because it keeps the tension at a certain level in this conflict, and that tension benefits China. If Russia all of a sudden just tanks, then China ends up in a worse position 
because now everybody can retool and shift towards, you know, the East China Sea. Everybody can look at Taiwan and say, huh, okay, now what do we need to do to make sure this doesn't happen to Taiwan? But if this goes on for another few years, which it could, it's very, very beneficial for China. Because in a couple of years, if this continues at this current pace, everybody's going to be very low on weaponry. Everybody's going to be very low on materiel and equipment. And then if China decides at that point they want to make a move, they're going to have a lot less of a U.S. presence and international presence to to deal with when it comes to doing that. So I think this is yeah. I think China is exactly where they want to be right now. And Russia is taking help from North Korea. Russia is taking help from Iran. Why would they not take help from China? Yeah, I think China wanted the war to end quickly in Ukraine. And Russia, if Russia took that territory and claimed it as their own and they could disrupt the the world order that said borders are borders and they're drawn and they're done and you have to respect that. And if Russia had come in, taken that land, said it's ours, I think that would have given China a a precursor to them redrawing the border and, and directly absorbing Taiwan. And they wanted to essentially look at the West and say, what are you going to do about it? But that didn't happen. It didn't end quickly. It didn't, it, the war is still ongoing. So if it couldn't end in a few days, well, let's drag it out for a few years. And if Taiwan doesn't happen, or maybe after Taiwan happens, you look at a weakened shell of what was once Russia and with all of their troops focused in the West, in Ukraine, and maybe that's where China goes next. We don't, we don't know, but. Yeah, I agree completely. It is it is all about destabilizing the West and advancing their own agenda. And like you said, right now, China is in a strong position. And so they're going to keep agitating and making statements like, oh, we're, we're going to increase cooperation with Russia. And they're going to keep doing these naval drills. And they're going to keep kind of poking the U.S. in the eye and say, what are you going to do about it? Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as D-N-W pod. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.